You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad. Folk Alliance International, Kansas City 2023. Sitting with Shane Hennessy. Last time I linked up with Shane was Folk Alliance in New Orleans 2020. And then everyone in the gig industry took a three-year hiatus. <laughs> Shane, were you on hiatus for three years? It certainly was, yeah. Well, it wasn't uh, sitting around for three years, but definitely the first couple of months there was, uh, there was a little bit of streaming, a little bit of recording, that kind of thing. Then I took a break from playing for a while um, because I suppose at the time it seemed a little bit hopeless you know and the fact that everyone was kind of streaming recording trying to do their best but at the end of the day you were still sitting in your house looking at a laptop you know particularly doing the, the live streaming yes the only feedback you had was looking at these comments coming in from yeah. people so for a while I actually felt very demoralized about the whole thing and I thought you know what when this all blows over now I'll get back to it now and I'll, the, the, the grow for it the love for it will really yeah. come back but it took a while it took a while and, and of course the uncertainty of anything like that and I know that was the biggest problem was nobody knew and still nobody knows still when we're fully back to normal because at an event like this even uh, at the showcases masks are still worn yeah. and in small rooms so we're still not back it's not gone it's not uh, gone and, and the thing is the effects the immediate effects are you know the mask wearing and, and back home all the vaccine passes and stuff like that that's all gone now but the long lasting effects is that uh, a lot of the contacts that I would have met here at Focal Lines three years ago the venues have shut down some of the yeah. people have passed away yeah. um, the cost of living has gone up inflation has gone up it's not as easy to tour uh, we just heard yesterday that all the US visa costs are going up as well yeah, we're, lucky, we're lucky that in Canada you can walk in on your passports no problem whereas over here it's a whole you know it, it, it's a much more difficult process it, it to is. tour here I know that um, so a lot of these factors of uh, that have been caused and kind of aggravated by COVID even though we're not seeing them day to day they are still having an effect yeah, they are and of course then as when you do tour if you get a gig you're not, probably not going to get as big a crowd uh, so again they yeah, there's a lot of worry for a while but people mixing in crowds yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, what did you do then? So, uh, what I did, uh, as I said, uh, the start of the pandemic, when I realised, right, we're not going anywhere for a while, I started live streaming. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that my streams were top quality. So, I spent right. a lot of time researching kind of video, audio, getting it as good as I possibly could. Those streams were great for about a year, couple, maybe eight months to a year, but yeah. everyone and their mother started streaming That's then. Right. So, it got very crowded very quickly. Very crowded space. Um, when I took some time off actually playing music, I just decided to enjoy life. I mean, myself and my wife got in engaged, moved into a new house and so we were able to kind of go within our little two kilometre, five kilometre radius and, and uh, you know, cook food and stuff like that, which is lovely. Um, but then in terms of getting back to music, I was conscious that I wanted to start writing more again, start planning for when I could tour. What really knocked me back a couple of times was the fact that the the border situation for a lot of countries was very fluid. Yes. So in Europe, things opened up a bit quicker. It took a while for Canada and the USA to open open up and even at that um, you know particularly in the winter months of the year generally when I would aim to tour uh, kind of between say July up until about December as things got colder and as numbers started going up the rules changed for different things so yeah. it was a little bit uh, uncertain the whole two year kind of two and a half year period of COVID was very uncertain but it did give me a chance ultimately to dive back into a lot of traditional music that I, yeah. that I had really left 
kind of in my past. You know, as, as uh, you might know, I started on the concertina yeah. when I was okay. young, and trad music was my background. Okay. Um, I left trad alone when I was 12 or 13 when I found the guitar, and I started going off my own way, listening to James Taylor and Chet Atkins and Tommy Emmanuel, and then just discovering a whole world of music that I wasn't aware of. But I really came back to trad in kind of two phases. One was uh, living with a couple of trad musicians in Dublin around 2015, 16 or so. Okay. And then the second phase was really during COVID when I got back into actually arranging trad for the guitar and trying to find my own way of playing Irish music yeah. as a soloist on the guitar. And it's not easy. It's really not easy because the guitar fundamentally doesn't cater for the sort of the, the wild manic accompaniment, but also the very refined melody playing that you need to get that trad sound. So there's always a bit of a compromise when you're doing it on your own. Or else you need two instruments. Or else you need two instruments. Or more yeah. importantly, you need two musicians. Yeah, well, that, yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah, I, yeah you need two musicians. Yeah. So that one can literally support the other. Yeah, because they're, they're polar opposites. You know, the, the melody playing is so refined and precise, and yeah. it can be loose as well, but it still has a, a particular need to be accurate, whereas the backing can be wild and frantic. And I think that's it's that kind of, I won't call it cacophony because it sounds great, but it's that juxtaposition that gives trad its feeling. And so you did pick up the concertina then? I picked it, yeah, for the first time in a long time I started messing around with a concertina. Now, the one I have is a very basic entry-level kind of uh, thing, but it was it was great to get it back in under my fingers again and, yeah. and take out. I still kept all the old documents that I had, all the old uh, sheets of songs, all the notes, the right. ABCs that uh, my teacher would have drawn out years ago in school. And then when I went to Mihal O'Reilly as well, I had tapes that I used to record when right. I was in, in the class of Mihal on a little old like a, a like cassette a recorder. Yeah. So I have all those cassettes at home. So over the lockdown, and actually had the time to go through the drawer of stuff. We all, we all have one of those drawers full of stuff, but I will go through that eventually. I actually took it out, started going through the tapes and going through the stuff, and I kind of dived back into trad. Right. And as a result, um, I proposed to the Arts Council in Ireland that I would make an album of okay. Irish trad music for the guitar, some original compositions, some arrangements. And so they gave me funding to do that. I recorded it in at home during lockdown, just cameras in a yeah, yeah. spare bedroom, or a, a microphone that was spare bedroom, sent it off then to my uh, mastering engineer in Los Angeles, and uh, that became the album Idrakel, and that was 2021 that I released that, so that was like my lockdown project. Right. Um, I didn't promote it too heavily or anything, it was more something that I wanted to try out and kind of create a blueprint for something in the future, right. but it was great to get that funding from the Arts Council to do it. Would you say then that that will open some doors for you, particularly in Ireland, where you may not have been getting bookings previously? because of the way the style you had developed. Oh, I would, this I would this will now bring you back into a different so. mainstream trad, because in Ireland, trad is nearly a niche market as well. Or, mm. Or, mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I've been very fortunate in that, um, you know, there are organizations like Temple Bar Trad Fest that have had yes. me, I think, twice now okay. at the festival, which is great. And strictly, I'm not trad. What I know, I do, yeah. There's a little bit of trad in what I do in my in my live show, but it's not all trad, definitely. Right. It's, it's about as... Uh, as diverse as you can get I suppose but uh, yeah I, I think that I'd, I'd definitely like to work on a project that has more of that Irish Celtic sort of influence because there's a lot of great music out there and even though my my playing technique doesn't really suit uh, trad in the way to say somebody like Tony McManus or Clive Carroll you know they've yeah. or Pierre Ben Suzon 
um, they have a particular technique with you know they use nails they're almost more like a classical player at times yes. but their technique allows them to be a little bit more uh, a bit more precise than I am with just the flesh of my fingers you know yeah. Yeah. so it was, it was things like that that I spent a lot of time messing around with I grew out my nails to try it out I was using finger picks I was doing all kinds of things to try and get the sound I was looking for so it was a very useful blueprint and I can imagine now that the next time I go to record an album of some more Irish influence stuff I, I've got a, a good body of uh, research done and getting uh, selected and playing at uh, tra- uh, the Temple Bar mm. that opens doors I know within the Irish trad community because a lot of mm. times the musical directors be it for other festivals around Ireland will say oh he was there so yeah let's, let's oh absolutely yeah. absolutely That's, it's opened a huge amount of doors for me but even more importantly and I think it speaks to the success with which Tradfest have managed to bring an international market in is that uh, the showcase that they do for Temple Bar Tradfest is attended by you know you've not only like, you like your Milwaukee Irish Fest and the American Irish Festivals but you've also got Merle Fest will come in or you've got people from Celtic Colours or you've got uh, the, I remember one of the years I played there there were delegates there from like South America and Australia and all kinds of places so I think that, that playing Tradfest opens doors not just into the kind of the, the trad or Celtic scene globally but it brings you to a wider audience again in, in the same way that if you play at Celtic Connections or one yeah. of those kind of showcases uh, you know the, the interest of the bookers there are definitely more diverse than just you know the, the, the old style trad music they're all looking for you know uh, be it the next big thing or something unique or right. whatever it might be so I if, if there's anybody happens to be listening to this considering applying for a showcase and they think oh I don't suit the I don't suit the, the market I'd, I'd be the very first to tell you that that's not true right there, the, people are very open minded when it comes to music no matter what the genre and when you say applying for a showcase when I met mm. you in New Orleans you were part of the Culture Ireland showcase mm. if I recall there you weren't here mm. so you were I won't quite say a free agent here but you were definitely independent in that environment how successful do you feel you can be in connecting with the people you need to connect to within the private social showcases? Uh, very successful this year, luckily. Um, the, the great thing is obviously the, um, the fact that they send out the delegate list to everybody before Folk Alliance happens, so you know who's going to be there. And in my case, myself and my agent, um, Uptown Artist Group, we targeted who we thought would be the most suitable for what I do and the direction I want to go in. Okay. Um, and so it was, it was you know, in the, the modern era, it's very easy to get in touch with people, email. WhatsApp, all the usual stuff. Uh, so we were able to get in touch with all these people and invite them directly to the private showcases because um, so Uptown Artist Group had a, a private showcase room this year, and uh, I had the, the plum opportunity of playing at half ten and eleven o'clock every night, which is great, you know. And I think what we need to hear is explain that when you say half ten, eleven o'clock, uh, the private showcases at Folk Alliance International begin at ten thirty and run until about three in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and for you guys, um, what it means is you what you do a, a thirty minute or forty mm. minute uh, stint in one room maybe. And that could be at ten thirty, you say, and then you did another one. But your next one could be at two thirty in the morning. Oh, could be. Yeah, there could be a good couple of hours in between them, you know. And it could be, well, or there could be a night in between, the whatever. Yeah. Um, but, it, but so it's a very unique environment to be marketing yourself. Oh, it is absolutely. Yeah, and it it looks very odd from the outside when you see people playing in bedrooms in a hotel. You kind of think, yeah. what's this all about? But it's to be honest, I found Focaline so useful to me the last year I was here. 
year. Um, there were a lot of bookings, a lot of interest came in. A lot of it was scuppered by the pandemic. But I'm hoping now this year, after the, the contacts we've made and some of the contracts we've signed over the weekend, um, it seems to be uh, very uh, lucrative and very successful so far. So I, 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 it's a fantastic event, and I'll be, I'll be coming back as long as they'll have me. Can you see yourself in as part of your set? putting the guitar down, picking up the concertina for one or two numbers? I used to, but it's becoming more and more tempting to do it you know it's, I'm very practical in terms of you know how I travel and you know I'm very compact with my my current setup you know it's the guitar and the, the couple of pedals that I use and the amplifier and that's it but yeah. if I could find a way that I, uh, that I could well, make it uh, travel efficient yeah, well, and that I could it's not that big oh, it's not too big yeah, no, yeah. No. And, uh, but it's, it's something I would actually consider now yeah, yeah. I haven't gotten back into it a little bit yeah I would actually consider bringing it back into the show because I know that um, there's uh, a guy a fellow back home um, t- uh, he, sorry he doesn't live in Ireland anymore but Tim Eady you're probably familiar yes. with him the guitar player yeah. um, and he's a phenomenal player phenomenal musician but he does that in his show he, he's a phenomenal guitar player uh, accompanist and melody player but he puts it down in the middle and he plays the, the accordion as well his main right. yeah, yeah. and I've seen him before where he lay down a guitar track and pick up the box and play along and it's, it's phenomenal so I, I could see myself kind of taking a bit of uh, inspiration from what he does and, and bringing that into my set and I know from watching um, audiences when they go to Irish artists and watch them that the box whether it be the button accordion the piano accordion or the concertina when someone picks that up Mm. and they get into a jig or a reel or something the audience come to life in a different way. Oh, in a completely different way. Yeah, I think and, so. And yeah. the yelp start happening. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it kind of it, it's the kind of thing that would allow you to kind of structure a show and say, okay, we'll do that. Let a few yelps. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, and it, it depends on how you play it as well. I I love, I suppose you could call it aggressive concertina playing. I love when you listen to Massimini from Talisk or Cormac Begley or someone like yeah. that. They really tear into it. Like the bellows are working overtime, getting the notes out, and I love that sound. I I just think it's so captivating. It's a fascinating instrument because as I understand it, you have a push and pull. Yep. So and because you have buttons on both sides, um there must be tremendous you have to have tremendous coordination and to, to, a, a huge learning curve I'd, uh, yeah if, if, if it's your first time playing a reed or a bellow instrument yeah, yeah. I, th- there definitely is I mean I started when I was four so I didn't know any different you know I, right. just, I learned the, the uh, tune by tune we never learned scales in school it was just yeah. learning the tunes over and over and over again so for me it, it happened in a very natural way I never really had to think about in out where it was but um, it, you know that's the Anglo-Irish concertina have uh, they have different notes on the push and pull. The English concertina then has the same note on the push and the pull. So, okay. but the layout is is a lot more manic right. than the, the Anglo concertina, and it's it's a, it can be a slightly different sound as well. But uh, for me, growing up, I mean, playing the concertina gave me a huge musical foundation yeah. that has still helps me to this day. I mean, I still conceptualise all the music that I write and the music I interpret. It's all through the lens of trad music, you know. Because okay. oh, another thing I should have said this earlier when we were talking about the pandemic and keeping busy but I studied music theory during the pandemic because I never had a note theory I couldn't read music I couldn't any of it. everything was just done by ear okay and uh, I had no real idea what I was doing all I knew was to do was to look for the notes in my head to look okay. for what I was I could hear it in my head I just had to find it on the guitar 
and uh, so my wife is a, uh, a music teacher she's a fantastic um, violin player and uh, piano player and flute as well so she was my teacher she taught me music theory and I did my grade 8 exam the, the, the top level theory yes. exam at home and I passed it so I have a much better working understanding now of music theory and why things fit in and it hasn't changed my musicality at all I suppose it's just it's given me a better uh, kind of palette of terminology with which to speak to other musicians and I'm sure now it allows you to take when you are creative to take that and actually put it on paper Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because you wouldn't have been able to do that. Not at all, no. I was always depending on, like, even from my, uh, from my leaving cert back home, the, the exam you do for finishing school in Ireland when I was 17, I did a music exam, and part of that was that you had to, you know, write on a stave, and you had to write down what you heard. And I used to struggle with, not, I, I, I'd, I'd be able to sing it back, I'd be able to play it back, I'd remember it the next day, no yeah. problem, but just trying to remember, okay, it's G and B flat and whatever else, I, I, it took me longer Quavers than I probably should have. Quavers Whereas, whereas, for example, uh, you know, you had to learn some set pieces like Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet, or whatever, right. and I used to arrange them on the guitar to remember right. them. So I'd be sitting in the exam, and everyone else would be looking at the score and going through the, the lines, and okay, we're in E flat, and that's an A flat note, and it's held over this bar. Whereas I would have my arm up, I'd be making chord shapes on my arm, going, which note is that? There's fourth fret, that's a D sharp, because there's an E flat there. I was doing it totally backwards to everybody yeah. else. Right. But as a result, as I suppose that's just how I. It's like speaking a different language maybe, yes, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, aside from the immediate as a, from what comes out of here what's, uh, what have you planned for the future so uh, for the rest of the year it's very tour heavy particularly in the United States I'm at a lot of the major Irish and Celtic festivals um, I'm back at the Walnut Valley Festival in Kansas as well which is one of my favourite Americana and Roots festivals it's a fantastic time down there but the main priority for me now um, prior to July and August is getting another album together and for right. the first time I'll be putting my vocals on an album because I've always been a singer I mean when I was in college I used to play the pubs in Temple Bar for kind of money Right. Um, so I used to do like two gigs sometimes three gigs a night so I've always been a singer but I never sang up until maybe a year or two ago in my live set as Shane Hennessy yeah. uh, because I was getting on fine just as an instrumental guitar player and people right. seemed to like it and I suppose for me I like to keep it interesting for myself as much as for the audience yeah. because when you play the same set and the same style over and over again it kind of it, it can get boring no yes. matter who you're playing to or where you're playing at, you know doing the same thing every day can, can get tiring so I started singing then I started selecting certain songs that I put in my set the reaction was really big yeah. and uh, I, I think that I've, I've hit on a sort of a, a bit of a niche stylistically that no one else seems to be doing at the moment so right. I'm going to try that out and if it works happy days and if it doesn't I'll do something different but, that's, but as I said that's the priority now is, is um, getting an album recorded for July where can people find you? Uh, so all the usual social media sites and streaming platforms your Facebook, Instagram, YouTube uh, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Tidal wherever you listen to music I'm on it um, but the best way to support an artist of any kind is buying directly so if you go to shanehennessy.ie and go into my web store there you'll find all of my music all of the guitar tabletters are all written out if you want to learn any of my music it's in sheet music and in guitar tab format um, I do a lot of um, online uh, teaching as well right. so there's, there's a huge amount there but as I always say it's best to support the artist directly where you Indeed. can when you say you teach online uh, how is that? 
it's uh, so the teaching I do is a little bit different to one-on-one teaching. I haven't done that for a long time. But what I have done um, is I've partnered with Truefire. They're a company based out of Florida, and uh, they're kind of the leading online uh, what's called like a lessons platform. So okay. I do a lot of pre-recorded video lessons, and so people sign up to um, my channel, the Fretboard Atlas. Okay. And you know there are different sections on that website about um, you know starting from scratch with the guitar or Irish music or fingerstyle guitar playing right. or whatever it might be improvising I have sections on the fretboard office for all of these different things and so people pay a subscription every month they have access to all the, the video resources the guitar tablature resources they can send me messages directly and there's also the option then of doing a one-on-one with me it's an extra charge obviously but they're able to talk directly to me or send in a video of themselves with questions and right. I'm able to then help them out but that was a great help during the pandemic in particular right. because you know I was uh, I'm not going to say I was worried about money but definitely you kind of you get a little bit nervous thinking oh you know the, the money from touring isn't coming in yeah. this year and the performance royalties aren't coming in it's kind of you get a little bit a little bit nervous about it um, but uh, that for me was a huge help in being able to stay connected to people being able to earn some money but also being able to share what I do um, and you know if, if you really want to solidify what you know you teach it right. and I learned as much as the students did and when I really have to break down what I do and think about why do I put my finger there why don't I use this why do I do the things you know a lot of questions you don't have to ask yourself when you're doing it automatically but when you're explaining it to someone else then you have to actually think about oh why do I do this so it made me a better player in starting up that channel and, and getting that feedback what piece of music are we going to share? Um, I suppose the best piece of music to share is uh, Rain Dance from my last album, Rain Dance. Or actually, sorry, would you like to share a piece from Israel from that Irish album? I would. Yeah. So, from Israel, I think probably the most interesting track on the album is one called East Wind, named after the famous uh, Andy Irvine album and, uh, and uh, Davies Spillane. Uh, I did a lot of work with uh, Bill Whelan uh, a couple of years back uh, for a, um, a TG Cahar program called Solo. We filmed it over in uh, Roundstone, County Gaul and there was a great cast involved but uh, I was involved in making some of the music for that um, and uh, so Bill was telling me about you know that he produced East Wind and we were talking about it and uh, what I love about that album in particular is the fusion of kind of the Macedonian kind of Balkan music and Irish music and so I took that a step further you know with my album Marrakesh had some kind of Arabic influence and I thought I wonder could I use the Arabic influence and pair that with Irish traditional music so I wrote a piece of Arab trad if you want to want to call it that uh, but I named it East Wind in homage of, of that album that kind of right. got me thinking that way kind of outside really outside the box for trad music so East Wind from Kill. Shane it's been a pleasure reconnecting thanks so much for having me